Thank you for joining us for a message from the Christian Fellowship Church of Kandu, North Dakota. Please visit our website for more information about our church at kanducfc.com. So last week we, we started in on John 18 and we saw that Jesus and his disciples, they traversed across the Kidron Valley uh, from Jerusalem so that they could spend some time alone in an olive grove. Uh, but while they were there, Judas, the disciple who betrayed Jesus, led the temple guards and the Roman soldiers to Jesus so that they could find him and eventually arrest him. Peter tried to do his thing. He tried to defend Jesus with violence, and he sliced off the one guy's ear here. But, but Jesus reminded Peter that the suffering that he was about to face was part of the Father's will for him, and he did not want to live outside the will of the Father. So through Jesus in the passage that we're looking at today, I think we're going to learn more about the purpose for our lives. Yet again, it's not a surprise, but there's always purpose that we discover when we focus on the Lord and what he has to say to us. I believe that the purpose of our lives is is answered in two basic questions. Question one, do we believe the truth about Jesus? You know, that he's God's son, the savior of the world, etc., etc. And question two is, Will we take up his mission in our own lives to advance his kingdom? If you're looking for purpose in your life, those are the two questions that you need to answer. And answering those two questions positively will allow anyone to go through life living in connection and cooperation with God. So I'm excited to, uh, to get into this passage. This is yet again part of the familiar Easter season stories that we know and love, but we're looking at them outside of Easter, so it kind of gives us a different opportunity. So let's dig in here, starting with verse number 12. So the soldiers, their commanding officer, and the temple guards arrested Jesus and tied him up. First they took him to Annas, since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest at the time. Caiaphas was one was the one who had the other Jew Caiaphas was the one who had told the other Jewish leaders it's better that one man should die for the people. So Caiaphas back in John 11 verse 49 to 51 he said it's better that one man should die for all the people. God sent Jesus to die for all the people. That's what we know for sure, right? To pay for our sins so that all people would be able to come into the kingdom of God. And we can see the mission of God's kingdom in the words that Caiaphas spoke. Even though he wasn't doing it to glorify God, he thought he was planning something sinister, but God was going to use his evil for our good. And we can also see the mission of God's kingdom here in Jesus' arrest, because this is part of the plan that allows Jesus to give his life as a sacrifice for us. Verse 15, Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another of the disciples. The other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest, spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, You're not one of the disciples, are you? No, he said, I am not. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. More about Peter in a little bit, but we'll just continue with this passage for now. Inside, the high priest began asking Jesus about his followers and what he had been teaching them. Jesus replied, everyone knows what I teach, 
I have preached regularly in the synagogues and the temple where the people gather. I have not spoken in secret. Why are you asking me this question? Ask those who heard me. They know what I said. Then one of the temple guards standing nearby slapped Jesus across the face. Is that the way to answer the high priest, he demanded? Jesus replied, if I said anything wrong, you must prove it. But if I am speaking the truth, why are you beating me? So Jesus has been brought to the house of Annas to be interrogated. This is uh, actually against the typical Jewish legal procedure. This wasn't done normally. Normally, the high priest would never directly question a defendant, but instead he would rely on witnesses to come and testify against the defendant. But Annas has evil in his heart, and he's just trying to get as much dirt on Jesus as he can before Jesus' actual trial. But Jesus' answer to what he's, being, what he's being asked about, you know, what he's been teaching his followers, to me this is so great. He has nothing to hide because he didn't come to, to live for himself or, or to hide away from people. That's not who Jesus was. Jesus came to bring as many people into the kingdom as, as he could. So his ministry and his life was very public. It was not private. It was not secretive. That was not the way of Jesus. Jesus has been fully revealing himself and his message now for three years. So why would Annas ask him what he was saying this whole time? Well, it's because actually, it's what Jesus has been saying the whole time that Annas finds so offensive. Jesus' message is exactly why he's been arrested and is now being interrogated. So verses like the ones that you see here on the screen, I'll, look, I'll let you guys look these ones up at your own leisure if you want to, but all of these verses point to the fact that Jesus did not hide who he was, but he boldly spoke about himself and invited people into the kingdom of God through knowing him. This was his public message and ministry. These verses tell us that Jesus was around people in the temple, in the synagogues, speaking to crowds, telling them the good news that he is the way to the Father. Proximity is a key word here because proximity to people to share the message of eternal life, that's what Jesus was after. And this is exactly why Annas and the rest of the religious leaders are so bothered by him. His message is making a difference in the lives of the people that he is speaking with, and they are out of control, or as, as the, the priests feel like they have lost control over their Jewish nation. I believe with all my heart that this is why, as Christians, we aren't snatched up into heaven as soon as we give our lives to Christ. Jesus leaves us here on earth so that his kingdom will have more of an impact in this place through you and through me. You have the kingdom of heaven in you as soon as you put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ. That's an exciting thought. The kingdom of heaven comes to live in you because the Holy Spirit comes into your life at the moment that you give your life to him. And his kingdom is assured in your heart. Eternal life is actually something that God gives you that you can now share with someone else. You have the message of hope living within you to give away to other people. So because of what Jesus has placed in us through our faith in him, we are called to the public life that Jesus lived as well. You don't, get to, you don't have to get up necessarily in front of people, okay? You don't have to preach in front of crowds, don't worry. But what if you spoke to 
one person at a time. But when we did it with the intentionality that we see from Jesus. Do you think that we could give everyone in Kandu a chance to know Jesus for themselves if each of us took this challenge clearly to speak to at least one person at a time? I think it would be possible. Okay, so normally I don't bring my phone up here, but today's a little bit of an exception because I need a calculator. So here's, the, here's something interesting I thought about this week. Kandu is about 1,100 people. That's kind of what the last census numbers show. I think 1,104. And today I'm estimating there might be about 70, 75 people here. So let's, let's just say 75. So we're going to take 1,100. We're going to divide it by 75. So how many people per person here is Kandu? It's 14 and a half people per each of one of us. So it's kind of interesting. If we think about it like this, what if each of us, Talk to one person a month. We just said, Lord, just reveal one person to us. We want to be faithful. We want to be proclaiming your message. We know that we're not necessarily all called to speak to masses of people. But Lord, would you show us one person each month for the next 14 or 15 months that we could pray for and talk to, build relationship with, and our goal would be to share with them the good news about who you are. It would take less than a year and a half for every single person in Kandu, North Dakota to know the truth about Jesus. Wouldn't that be exciting? I think it's actually pretty, it's pretty reasonable when we kind of do the math and think about it like that. It's not like, okay guys, let's just go and conquer the world. Actually, God has you here in Kandu, North Dakota, or Wolford, or Sarles, or Rolla, or Starkweather, or wherever you're from. God has you in that place for a reason. And those people that you are around, that you have proximity with, each one of them, God loves them and has created them in his image. And we have the opportunity, one person at a time, to reveal to them who God is. I think this is what multiplication for the kingdom of God is supposed to be like. It's not supposed to be daunting and impossible. It's supposed to be steady and consistent and a lifelong commitment that we make. Jesus, as a matter of fact, talks about this exact thing in Matthew 13, He says, it says here, he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. See, Jesus is telling us that the kingdom of heaven is meant to grow, and we're the ones who cause that to, heaven, to happen. We work through this batch of dough. That can do is, right? Like we act like yeast. We, we multiply, we permeate, we fill this whole place with the message of Jesus so that no part of this mass of people that we call our hometown is left uninfluenced by the love of Jesus Christ. I, I love this stuff. It actually makes so much sense. It's so practical. And I think it's actually extremely doable. So where do we find all these people, these 14, 15 people per person that each of us could have an impact with over the next year and a half? Well, I know it's not going to happen by staying home, right? Like we know that when we go home, that's our sanctuary. That's our place of rest and relaxation. That's good. We all need time there. But if we spend all of our time there, that's probably we're going to lack proximity to people. So being around people is what we need to do. So I think about it like this. Is the Legion having a function? Maybe they're having a, a breakfast or something uh, in, the, in the armory? 
well, perfect, let's go. You know, you give them 10 bucks, you get your eggs and bacon or whatever it is, and, and you sit down with someone and you get to know someone new, your proximity to people. Those people might not be at this church on Sunday morning, but you might see them other places, and, and starting a relationship with them is, is just that easy by sitting next to them and eating breakfast, right? Maybe, uh, maybe there is a Bearcats game, right? Maybe it's football season or baseball or basketball or whatever it is or volleyball and you hate all of those sports. Well, then you're off the hook so you don't have to go. Actually, that's not the way it works because if we're on mission for the kingdom, our goal isn't to go and enjoy ourselves even though that's, that can happen very easily at those kind of things. But our goal is to go and be on mission in the community that God has placed us in. To go and sit next to someone and talk to them during halftime, get to know them, know what they care about. Uh, just yesterday, we were at a game, and uh, yeah, it was a tough game because we, we, we had a tough competition, and, and our girls did the best they could, and I'm proud of them, but during halftime, it was amazing. I turned around, I talked to this guy, and I, last time I saw him was baseball season. We had the best conversation of our life, and now I'm going to remember him. I'm going to continue to pray for him, and I'm going to look for him at the next game. And yeah, his daughter plays junior high ball, so I don't have a daughter in junior high ball, but he does, so I'm going to show up at that next junior high girls game. I think this is the way we have to think. Did you know that Meals on Wheels here in town, I got a letter this week. Meals on Wheels is looking for volunteers to, to pack meals at a room at the hospital. I can give you the details if you want. And they want delivery drivers. You know what the best part about Halloween is? People come to your home uninvited. And you can give them or say to them whatever you want. Right? So this is kind of like Halloween, but for seniors. You come to their home, they want you to come there because you have food, right? So they love you just like that. And then you could, you could bless them, you could care for them, you could ask them how their day is going. And such a simple way to have proximity with people, share the message of Jesus with someone, and build the kingdom in an intentional way. Who knows, maybe one person a month is going to be too slow and we're just going to enjoy this so much. We're going to want more proximity to more people than we thought. So there's many places to be with people just like Jesus was. We're following the example that he lived with his life, and we're trying to copy that with the way that we live ours. Verse 24. Then Annas bound Jesus and sent him to Caiaphas, the high priest. I don't know if you caught this or not, but this was a little bit confusing to me. I needed to do some research. In this verse, we come across something that, that's a little bit curious. The question that you have to ask, or that I asked, is does the temple have two high priests? Because verse 13 said, first they took him to Annas. Then in verse 19 it said, inside the high priest, that's referring to Annas, began to ask Jesus about his followers and what he had been teaching them. So he's meeting with Annas, the high priest. And then in verse 24 here it says, then Annas bound Jesus and sent him to Caiaphas, the high priest. So this really doesn't impact our story a whole lot, but if you ever get stumped on this, I just want to add two seconds of clarity here. Here's what's going on. The Jews believed that a high priest was meant to be a high priest for life. This was a lifelong position. So once you became high priest, the only time you could no longer be high priest is if you died. So at one point, Annas had been named high priest, and the people still recognized his authority as high priest. However... When the Romans invaded Israel and they took this place captive, they started to periodically say, mm, we don't like that guy anymore, so Annas, you're out. Caiaphas, you're in. So the Romans see Caiaphas as the high priest. The Jews still see mostly Annas as the high priest. 
So when the Jews are dealing with people, they go to Annas for advice a lot of the time. Caiaphas as well. They work together on a lot of things. But any time that the Jewish people from the temple wanted to deal with the Romans, it had to go through Caiaphas since he's the only one that the Romans recognized. Does that make sense? Awesome, because it took me a while to figure that out for myself. You guys get it so easy. I do all the hard work, I tell you. So verse 25 says, Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire warming himself, they asked him again, You're not one of his disciples, are you? No, or he denied it, saying, No, I am not. But one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Didn't I see you there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it. That's three. And immediately the rooster crowed. Back in John 13, 38, after Peter states his willingness to die for Jesus, Jesus predicts Peter's denial, saying that Peter will deny him three times, that he even knows him before the rooster crows the next morning. That's what we've just seen here in this passage that we've been reading today in verses 17, 25, and 27. What this proves, though, is that Jesus understands our weaknesses. He's not surprised that Peter denied him. He knew it was coming. He knows when our faith is going to be tested, perhaps even to the utmost breaking point. He knows what kind of trouble is going to push us the hardest. Peter's denial is going to be addressed by Jesus in the final chapter of John. So stay tuned to something amazing amazing a little ways down the road we're just going to kind of leave it there for now with this peter portion of the story verse 24 said that annas sent jesus to caiaphas but in john's gospel interestingly enough it doesn't include the details of jesus's trial before caiaphas if you want to read that you have to look in matthew mark or luke so then john kind of fast forwards here a little bit to verse 28 where he says jesus's trial before caiaphas ended so it's happened and now it's done in the early hours of the morning. Then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. His accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them and they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate the Passover. Okay, so this verse reveals a picture of how absolutely nasty and divided the heart of a person can be. So these priests, Caiaphas and Annas and all of their their you know, in entourage and all these other people who work in the temple under their authority, these guys are all perfectly okay with framing Jesus and lying about him in order to arrange for his murder. Yet, their false reverence for God won't allow them to enter the home of a Gentile because they will become ceremonially unclean for the upcoming festival that is meant to be all about worshiping God. True worship isn't about what we do on the outside. And it's not about keeping up appearances and silly rituals and traditions. Worship is always about the heart. Who we are on the inside. What we truly believe about God. If we truly love Him. That's what motivates us to a place where we can worship God in spirit and in truth. But the high priests and and everyone connected to them. These guys are so disconnected from that heart. They think that they're holding up this beautiful standard by not entering the home of a Gentile so they can remain ceremonially pure. But it's disgusting in the eyes of God because their heart is so far from Him. If we love Jesus, obeying Him will permeate every area of our lives. 
Not just the parts where we're willing to allow Him in and to be affected, but everything. So for Caiaphas and Annas and their accomplices, this is just not the case. Their hearts are so far from God. Love for God is not in them. There's no remorse for their sinister and evil actions. And they are not unclean if they enter the house of a Gentile, but they are unclean for hating and rejecting God's one and only Son. That's the matter at hand that really is of the most importance, and they are missing it. Verse 29. So Pilate, the governor went out to them and asked, What is your charge against this man? We wouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal, they retorted. Then take him away and judge him under your own law, Pilate told them. Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone, the Jewish leaders replied. This fulfilled Jesus' prediction about the way that he would die. See, here's another interesting part of this whole story. The Jewish way of executing someone wasn't through crucifixion. It was through stoning them to death, literally picking up rocks and throwing it at a person until they died. But since the Romans had taken over Israel, they did not allow locals to execute criminals, and instead they reserved the right as Romans to do that themselves. And the Roman way of execution was by crucifixion, death on a cross. Back in John 12, verse 32 and 33, Jesus had predicted this kind of death for himself, and now his prediction was coming true. Verse 33, Then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews? he asked him. Jesus replied, Is this your own question, or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted. Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. I love this. Like Jesus has done so many times here in the Gospel of John as he's been teaching people all over Israel about the Father and the kingdom of heaven, he took an opportunity to make an earthly conversation point towards something spiritual, right? This guy, Pilate, he's like, so you're the king of Jews? Well, I am a king, he's thinking, but not in the way that you think. And he takes this moment to allow even Pilate to understand that the, the kingdom that Jesus is there to bring to us is not a physical kingdom, but it's something spiritual. It's something better and more powerful than anything pragmatic or, or tangible that we can see here on this earth. Jesus is not trying to establish a political, physical, or earthly kingdom. His kingdom is a spiritual one that cannot be stopped by physical threats or even death. And this is his testimony right before the governor of, of Israel that Rome had appointed. Verse 37, Pilate said, so you are a king. Jesus responded, you say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is truth? Pilate asked. The truth is what the entire gospel of John is focused on. Revealing the truth about who Jesus is. 
This is the passion behind John and why he wrote this gospel. He wants people to know the truth so that their faith can be put in something that is true and not something that is a man-made, earthly invention. And Jesus told us that if we love the truth, we will recognize that what Jesus' message is, is true. The opposite would be true as well, that if we hate truth, if we don't want to hear truth, if we're resistant to people coming to us and speaking to us about what is true, we will reject the truth, even though we are face to face with it. Here, Pilate is face to face with the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Pilate, like many other government officials from Rome, they had this weird philosophy that was creeping into their culture more and more. It's saying that truth was relative. It was, it was just a matter of what the majority of people agreed on. And whatever was the most popular, that was truth. But Jesus clearly in this moment is, is the most unpopular guy in the whole story. And yet his truth is not shaken or taken away from whatsoever. Truth is not relative. Truth is based on who God says God is. Truth originates with God. Pilate, a man unsure of truth, was face to face with the truth as he spoke to Jesus. But it doesn't appear that he sees Jesus as the truth that he needs. Because he was so brainwashed from his own culture and looking for what pleased everyone instead of what made sense between him and his soul. Verse 38 continues, the second half of it, saying, Then he went out again to the people and told them, He is not guilty of any crime. But you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release this king of the Jews? But they shouted back, No, not this man. We want Barabbas. Barabbas was a revolutionary. Obviously, Okay, so this is, our, this is our whole passage this morning. We've actually made it through the whole thing already. Obviously, the main character in our passage today is Jesus. Everyone and everything is connected to him in some way, right? The story about what he goes through, the abuse, the betrayal, the abandonment, the unjust treatment, yet through it all, his character and his mission, it, they stay intact. All of that is so incredible for us to notice. To just to see how holy and wonderful he is. He, he's sovereign even though he's being totally taken advantage of in this time by mere humans. The people that he created. The story is interesting, but there's actually three other characters that I want to focus on. Each with their own unique connection to Jesus. First, there's Annas. Clearly an enemy of Jesus, right? Then there's Peter the disciple and the friend of Jesus. And then there's Pilate, who seems to be neutral for the most part when it comes to Jesus. But the story of each of these three men teaches us that everyone, no matter who we are, no matter what stage or status of life we are in, everyone during our lifetimes must answer the question, who is Jesus? For Annas, he had his mind made up about Jesus before he even began questioning him in today's passage. He believed what he wanted to believe about Jesus. In his hatred and his prejudice, he made Jesus out to be the bad guy. Annas and Caiaphas, for that matter, resisted everything about Jesus and were determined to cover up the truth about him. They hated 
the truth. For Peter, in his desperation to save himself from suffering, so badly distanced himself from Jesus in our passage today. Peter knew that Jesus was the Messiah. In in Matthew 16, Jesus asked his disciples who they said that he was. And Simon's answer is, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So clearly, Peter understood exactly who Jesus was. He knew the truth about him. Yet, when the pressure that Peter experienced came against him, it pressured him so much that he was willing to deny Jesus three times, denying that he even knew him. Just hours before this, Peter said that he was ready to to die for Jesus, and he chose to try to defend Jesus with violence in the garden. And now he wouldn't allow others to even think that he knew Jesus. I don't think Peter ever stopped believing in Jesus, just so you know. But in this moment, he chose to save himself by denying the truth about Jesus that he absolutely believed. Peter was scared about what the truth would do to him and his life. And then there's Pilate. By all accounts, this is the first time that Pilate has spoken to Jesus. After his conversation with him, Pilate says that Jesus is not guilty of any crime. Okay, so Pilate's a reasonable guy. But Pilate's desire for political advancement clouded his ability to choose to do what was right. He catered to the crowd of people in order to avoid a potential riot. So he just gave them what they wanted. Pilate neither chose to believe in Jesus or to officially reject Jesus. But through avoiding making a choice to find out the truth about Jesus, he fell short of what Jesus was offering him and everyone else. Pilate didn't care enough about the truth to to go out of his way to discover it for himself. So in all three of these cases, each of these men failed to take hold of the truth about Jesus for different reasons. To me, this passage kind of reflects the parable that Jesus told of the sower and the seeds. In that in that story, there's Jesus talks about a farmer goes out and he's scattering seeds and and the seeds represent the, the truth about Jesus. And the ground that the seeds fall on, it represents people and how we receive the truth about Jesus. There's, you know, a hard path that people have been walking on. There's rocky soil. There's ground that's full of thorns and weeds. And then there's also good soil. All of us are presented with the truth about who Jesus is at one point or another. And we have to choose what we're going to do with it. I remember being at a Bible camp the, the summer after my freshman year of high school, I was there as a camper. At the end of the week, campers were given a chance to, to stand up and share what they had been learning that week at camp. And I remember one guy, he was a little bit older. This is kind of a high school age camp. He might have been a, a junior or a senior or something like that. I remember him standing up. He was a pretty outspoken guy, pretty, pretty loud, talkative and all that kind of stuff. And he, he stood up and, and talked about how he thought, yeah, you know, this message about Jesus that we'd been hearing at chapel, it's good. And he said, yeah, it's probably a good thing that we would choose to to believe in it. But if we didn't right there that week, that's that's okay. Just keep Jesus in mind and and make sure that you choose to believe in him down the road at at some other point in life, right? And I'm a 14-year-old kid at this camp, and I remember thinking, choose Jesus later? That sounds strange. Why did this guy say that? Why Why not choose Jesus right now? To me, that made so much more sense. 
Another story here. Several years ago, I got to know a, a new couple who was attending our church in Winnipeg where, where I had been working as a youth pastor. The husband of this couple, we'll just call him Fred. Fred and I began to talk and, and we kind of formed a bit of a friendship. And he, he said, hey, Jeff, would you like to go out for coffee someday? And I said, for sure. So we set up a time and, and we met and we were chatting and we get, began to talk about salvation and, and some church things, right? And he told me, Fred did, that he believed that all people will be saved. And he explained to me that he believed that even if people don't believe in Jesus here on earth, Jesus will give them one last chance before they stand, before they, or when they stand before him to be judged. And he believed that no one could stand before Jesus and reject him face to face. Like, it's, that's not possible, right? So clearly, everyone will accept him at that time and then go to heaven. Fred shared some verses with me that were taken badly out of context, which he believed supported this idea. But I'm telling you, friends, don't mistake me here. Fred was 100% incorrect. That's not the way the Bible presents the opportunity for salvation. It is something that we have to choose between the moment that we that were born and the moment that we die. This is the life where we choose, not in the next life. The truth about Jesus is something that each one of us has to choose for ourselves. And I, I wouldn't encourage anyone ever to delay in choosing this. We're, tomorrow's not guaranteed. We don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, right? So why would we wait? Why would we hesitate? Why would we say, I'm going to live my life now. I'm going to party hard. I'm going to have a good time. I'm going to get all the fun out of my system. And then when I want to really be bored and have nothing else to do, I'll start following Jesus then. That's a stupid way of looking at things. And if you're online thinking, ooh, pastor said stupid, yeah. We talk very honestly here at CFC because I don't want anyone to ever think that something like that would be a good idea because it's not. But to choose Jesus quickly, to choose him enthusiastically, to not waste time and to understand that today is the day of salvation, this lifetime is the opportunity that we have to enter into relationship with Jesus. That's something that would serve us well. And it's something that would have served Annas and Caiaphas and Pilate well also. You know, Jesus told a story about the rich man and Lazarus from Luke 16, right? The rich man lived in luxury when he died. He was taken to the place of torment because his life was all about living for himself, partying, having everything that he wanted, living with all of his money. And Lazarus, he was a poor man. He lived outside of the gates of the rich man's home. He laid there on the ground covered with sores, hungering for the food that was on the rich man's table. And when he died, he was taken to be with Abraham, and Abraham comforted him. That's what the story says. So then this rich man, as he's in torment, he doesn't call out for one more chance to believe. Okay? He doesn't say, okay, I get it now, I believe, I understand. Now, he doesn't say that. He knows that his time is up. His fate is sealed because before he died, he did not choose to follow Christ. But he actually asks Abraham to send Lazarus back to warn his family that they need to repent of their sins and turn to God while they still had a chance, while they were still living. Abraham tells him, hey man, if they don't believe in what Moses and the prophets said, they won't listen to someone who comes back from the dead either. Friends, have you chosen? believe in Jesus. And I'm not talking about 
going through the, the rituals and the rites and all of the religiosity of any church that you grew up in. I'm not asking you if you grew up in church. I'm not asking you if you attended Sunday school. I'm not asking you if you did all the things that your parents wanted you to do. And as soon as you turned 14 and you were accepted now in your church's eyes, you said, adios, I'm out of here. I'm not asking you about that, okay? Just to be clear. I'm asking you, have you chosen during your life to believe the truth about Jesus Christ. Because this is it. This is the only chance we get. You know, I don't know everyone in this room. Uh, some of you I've met for the very first time today. Some of you I've, I've known for a little while, but we don't know, know, know each other, right? So I, I'm, I don't want to take anything for granted. I don't want to make any assumptions. I don't want to just say, ah, we're all in church. I mean, of course, we're all believers, right? I mean, who else comes on a Sunday morning besides those who are walking in rich relationship with Jesus? All kinds of people show up here, and I'm so glad that we do. So here's my question for you. Do you know how much Jesus loves you? It's so much that he gave his life for you. The equivalent today is like he stepped in front of a bullet to save you so that you wouldn't have to die, right? Like that's kind of how we talk. That's how Hollywood presents these heroes who give their life. But Jesus is the original hero. He's the one who came not to just give his life for one person, but he gave his life for an entire race of humans. He gave his life for everybody. He, he took his life, he lived it perfectly, so that when you and I we're, we're on the precipice. We were living a life that was destined for eternity in hell, to be separated from God. Jesus says, I'm not okay with that. I love these people enough that I'm not going to let them suffer that fate. Instead, I'm going to come to this earth. I'm going to live a flawless life so that I can be a perfect sacrifice once for all time. And I'm going to give my life. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to be arrested and tried and convicted as an innocent man by people who hate me and are willing to lie about me. I'm going to allow that to happen because that's how much I love you. And then I'm going to die. But when I die, all of your sins are going to be on me so that you don't have to die for your sins. I'm going to give you my innocence in exchange for your guilt because I don't want you to be separated from me eternally. That's the truth about Jesus. And it is so good. It is so good. So here's my challenge for you today. Don't live like you have time to make this choice. Kendu's a pretty safe town. I don't think you have too much to be worrying about. There's no buses that are going to fly by here and nail you after church, I don't think. But God tells us that he's the one who gives us every breath that we breathe, right? And, I, and God hasn't told me how many more of those I have left. So I'm going to live today and every day with the truth of my life, or the truth of Jesus connected to my life. So here's my invitation for you. If you haven't made this choice before, if you've never sat down and really faced the truth about Jesus and said, who do I think Jesus is? I'm asking you to do that right now. We don't have to close our eyes. We don't have to sing a song. We don't have to pray a prayer. You just have to honestly tell God what you think. And if you believe in this moment right now as I'm talking, if you say, yeah, Jesus, you actually do make so much more sense to me than I ever thought was possible. And the truth about who you are, that's what I want in my life. I don't want to keep living in this darkness where I'm not really sure about what I believe. If you want to believe the truth about Jesus, tell Jesus in your heart right now, I believe in you.
And in this moment, if you've made that choice, if you have said, I believe in you, Jesus, his Holy Spirit is coming to be a part of your life. He wants to move into your neighborhood. He wants to move into your heart. He wants to work with you now. He doesn't say, okay, good. Now you better behave until I come again. He actually says, no, I'm going to help you with all that stuff. We're going to work together because this is a relationship, not a legal agreement only. I'm here to save you from your sins. And I want you to believe the truth. It's Communion Sunday, friends, and we want to take communion together. I think there's two reasons that I want to highlight today why, of course, we should take communion. If you, if you did not get one of these uh, little packages, the cup and the wafer, uh, when you came in, please, and we'll, we'll gladly take one around to you. But if everyone got, that's great. So there's two reasons why we should take communion, I believe. One, of course, is to remember the death of Jesus. Because his death and his resurrection, his sacrifice for us, that's what allows this truth to have any power in our lives. That's what allows us to believe in Jesus and actually be saved from our sins. Because it's his death that allows us to live. It's his sacrifice that allows us to be washed clean, forgiven from everything that we've ever done wrong. But I think it also reminds us of what life is supposed to be like after we make a choice to believe in Jesus. We thought the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And, and you can, can you be partially in and do something like that? Say, well, I'm willing to be beaten a little bit, but the whole death thing, I think we're going to stop short of that. And that, that should be good enough, right? It doesn't work like that for Jesus. And I, I don't think that's what he's calling us to either. He doesn't say, I'll believe in you and I'll probably go to church. But man, as far as telling other people about you, Jesus, I'm just not sure if I'm up for that. Here's the thing. Jesus gave everything for us so that we could know the truth. Are we willing to give our lives for 14 people? Not even, we don't even have to die. Are we willing to give up some time for these people that they might know who Jesus is? Because if we do that, if we live in the example that Jesus lived, our entire community could be changed. I, I think that's what comes through when we remember the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to read today from Matthew 26, verse 26 to 28. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat it. This is my body. So what we're doing here is we're taking this bread. It's symbolic and it reminds us that Jesus went what he went through physically for us because of his love for us. So let's take these things together to remember Jesus. And he took a cup of wine at that same meal and he gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, his disciples, and he said, Each of you drink from it. For this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It's poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. So this blood is a promise, friends. And every time we drink this, you are reminded that you have believed the truth. That you can live in the truth. That the truth is what defines your life. The truth is what has set us free. This is a promise that is sealed by the blood of Jesus. So let's remember these things together.
We'll close with a word of prayer. Lord God, thank you so much for this account of everything that your son went through. And from the perspective of a few other people, what they saw, how they reacted, what they believed. Jesus, we learn so much by understanding what the message that you have given to us is supposed to be about. It's about your love and forgiveness and us surrendering our lives to a holy God who would do something that we would think is so unholy, yet it was exactly what we needed to rescue us from the sin and the, and the nasty situation that we were in. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this story. I pray that as we continue to think about this community and about how you would live if you were here, I pray that we would take that as an example and we'd say, yeah, okay, Lord, 14 people, 14 months. Maybe that's all it takes and we could change this place. We could bring the hope that is based on your truth to every man, woman, and child in this entire town. God, that would be so amazing. God, if if there's a bigger dream that we're supposed to dream, I pray that you would lay that on our hearts. I know that we have kind of a a really neat cross-section of people here. We're not all just one from one neighborhood. We're from a couple of towns, a couple of areas, a couple of counties. I, I love that, God. I think that... I think that that's actually a blessing because you're giving us more of an impact in more places than just can do North Dakota. But Lord, wherever we are, show us those people that we live with every day, our coworkers, our neighbors, our, our family, our own kids, uh, the people who, you know, their, their parents and our kids play sports together, whatever it is, show us those people. Help our hearts to come alive when we see them and we say, oh yeah, this is one. This month. February 2023, I am praying for, I am talking to, I am loving and encouraging, and I will tell about Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for this glorious mission that you've invited us to be a part of. Help us not to shrink away. Help us to take on the boldness that you had and that you can give us through your Holy Spirit. Amen.